So uh, I was reading, oh, well, I actually just started this week, Cal Newport, who I know you haven't heard of yet, but um, he's got his book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And his argument in this book is that the advice of find the thing that you love um, and do that for the rest of your life, like, you know, find work that you love and you know the whole thing, you won't work another day in your life, sort of crap. Um, and that that's not real. Well, I shouldn't say that. It isn't the best advice you can have. And he starts it off with a story about um, oh Steve Jobs, and he's given a, a speech at some university or whatever. Yeah, another one. Yeah, and is that that famous one. Harvard one? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, and one of his and in, in the line he is says in there is about like is that whole find your passion and blah blah blah. Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams, and that those sentences started cropping up heaps after that sort of thing, and everyone started jumping on his bandwagon because Steve Jobs said so. And so my question to you is like, what are your thoughts on finding work that you're passionate about um, and following your dreams? Oh boy, it's a very grey topic, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, and yeah, definitely a lot to unpack. As I was saying when we were chatting about this earlier, uh, Mike Rowe, uh, who has that TV program Dirty Jobs, mm -hmm. writes a lot about that too. Of, he sort of says it like, the worst advice you could ever get is follow your passion. He's pretty, he's pretty black and white about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I, I obviously don't think it's that black and white. However, I tend to agree generally with it. It might not be the best kind of advice or best kind of thing to mm -hmm. tell someone. Just because, I mean, he makes that really good point, and I don't have the stats about. Oh, you know, if someone's like, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up because that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And then he does the astronaut, yeah. And then he does the stats yeah. on how many people st apply, study for it, and actually end up going to the moon. And <laughs> something like, I don't know, 0.01%. And he sort of says, now you've got these you know, thousands and thousands of people who their dream, they were told, you can be an astronaut, of course you can. And it's just like, well, no, you probably can't. Yeah. And then, yeah, but then it gets a bit contentious because people will then say, well, what, you're just going to crush everyone's dreams? It's like, well, no. But um, so so my, I think my general view of it is, is where we find happiness, because you know, that's obviously what it's about, right? Yeah. Why would you tell someone, you know, find your passion or follow your dream and just go for it is because, you're trying to you know, have them figure out how to be happy and satisfied, right? But if you just think about your day-to-day -day existence and day-to-day -day life, where we find our happiness and our satisfaction, I mean, I think it's Aristotle talks about happiness in the, in the doing. It's in the activity of life. So if, if where we find that joy and satisfaction and happiness and everything like that is in the activities of life, my question would be, does it really matter if you're doing the thing that you were born to do or destined to do? And yeah. I mean, quite frankly, we've talked about free will a lot from Robert Sapolsky, the book Behave, that essentially helped us, you know, start this whole mm. podcast. Yeah. And if it's if the concept of free will is more like 
if you brush your teeth differently today, I'll give you that. Yeah. As in, yep, that's your free will. But then most of your day-to-day -day is just not necessarily predetermined, but in a dance with your environment, then how do you even know what your passion or your dream or like, as in, where does that even come from? Yeah, yeah exactly. And he talks about it in this book. Um, he gives a couple of examples of people doing it. But the, the one I like the most is, is, is the Steve Jobs one because he starts off with Steve Jobs like being almost the father of this Find Your Passion movement, which he, he isn't, but because that speech went so viral and then the university put it up and it went viral there too, um, you know, it's associated to him and he had so much success that, and, you know, he loved what he did by the end of his life, right? But they talk about, like, how when he first started it, like, making these computers and selling them off, like, his goal was to just sell a hundred of them and make some cash and then go off to his monasteries again and go, because he was, like, full on. Yeah, he was, the, exactly. And then lived in the communes and stuff. And they're like, does that really sound like someone who's passionate about tech and computers? And, like, the, the answer is obviously no, because the whole concept of buying your passion is that there's nothing else you'd rather be doing today than that thing, right? That's what it's trying to say is a passion. And so I really love that because it's like, well, that, that screws up the Steve Jobs argument because, well, he didn't get into passion. Probably his passion was something around business or something like that or something that he didn't really know at the time and he, he didn't associate it to it. But what he then goes on to explain, his argument for, well, if it's not, if you don't follow your passion, then what do you do? And his thing is about, like, it's a learned skill and behavior that over time you become so competent at something that you find lots of passion in it because you're so good at what you do. That's right. You're so fulfilled. You know all these people. You've got all these friends in this community that you've built around this thing that you do, and that's how you get super passionate about stuff. And he talked about how, like, well, he kind of alludes to the fact that a lot of the people telling people to find their passion are people like 20, 30 years into their career. That's right. And it's like, no, you've just taken this approach of like acquiring skills and knowledge over a long period of time that now you fucking love what you do because you're so good at it. That's right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's, it's a really good point you make because it, it, things tend to get black and white when someone takes things out of a – like take a snapshot out of a period of time, mm -hmm. which is kind of what I can hear you saying. Because yeah. I can, you know, I can say to you, it is this way if right now or just even recently that's the way it is. But if we were then to go, hold on a minute, mm -hmm. how did it become that way? And we started to unpick it, it'd be like, oh, it isn't this way yeah. or it is now, but it's probably going to not be real soon. So that's kind of like it's it's out of context and i was just as you were talking i was thinking my journey is you know some of my journey but it's real funny thinking about it because i i wanted i think when i was 10 i wanted to be like a baker or a chef yeah because i got right into like baking yeah, yeah. but do you know why i got into baking at home no. why do you think you know what i'm like with food oh, i'm one of the yeah. i'm the youngest of three boys yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if i hung around the kitchen enough yeah I always got the egg beater. Yeah, I got yeah, to lick the, you know, spoon. I got to, I got yeah. to. If I cooked with mum, I got to pick the biggest piece of like schnitzel or whatever. Yeah. And if I went to the grocery store with her, I got to get my custard square every time and basically pick the. You know, I figured out if I hung around all the food, but then I started to like learn how to bake, and my nanny used to come. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a baker. Yeah. Then, and I, I suppose I have a bit of a. 
uh, reputation, my family, mm. not so much now, but like, mm. what's the next thing that, you know, Andrew, because it's what my family call me. Yeah. What's the next thing that Andrew's doing? I know. That's and it, your mom your it's weird, I know. Yeah, like Andrew. <laughs> Even Paul calls me Andrew just around my family, so it's confusing. But then, I mean, I could say, then I was a drummer. Yeah. And like you say about competence, right? So I started drumming at nine. My oldest brother was six years older, so he had a drum kit. And I got to a really high level, like <clears throat> jazz. I traveled with it. And my teacher, when I was like 16, said, don't go back to seventh form. Yeah. You should apply for Berkeley because you're, you're good enough, you're competent enough. And I almost did because I really didn't want to go back to seventh form because I was yeah. kind of over school. Because yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to be like a world-class drummer. Yeah. And then... Oh, tennis probably at one point too. I was playing high-level tennis, so I wanted to be a tennis star. And then in my last year of high school, I got so into soccer mm. that I didn't do a full year of university in my first year because I did half the amount of papers because I was going to be a professional soccer player. So I trained for three or four hours a day mm. in my first year at home in Palmy. Yeah. Total, like, blinded passion mm. and was sending videos off to, like, Boston. I got offered a scholarship from Boston University, which was still, still too expensive. And then um, went down to uni to do my sports science degree. And then I'm now a personal trainer. So oh, I'm going to be like the best personal trainer. And I was in London when I was 21. Greg Jujon Roche, who was like the celebrity trainer, used to come into our gym and became friends. Oh, I'm going to be a celebrity trainer now. Then what else? Oh, that's right. And then in London, I got right into my dancing because I was into like hip hop dancing. So I went and did like adult ballet and I was going to absolutely be a dancer, joined a theatre company, I was going to get into theatre. And then as I was leaving London, I was applying for the VCA in Melbourne, which is one of the top, um, Mm. what do you call it, uh, theatre schools, the performing arts schools, because I was was passionate about I'm going to be a actor and a performer and a, a dancer and I had this interview I felt it was terrible like I didn't get in and so I came back to Melbourne and started finishing my degree and and was still getting into my dancing and so when I was starting to work at uh at Landmark and and training up there to to be a you know forum leader to lead these mm-hmm. big courses I was in this conundrum and I remember I was like oh my god I'm only 23 it's not too late to maybe be a professional dancer I'm going to do that. And a friend of mine like talked me out of it and said, no, you want to be like a leader and lead all these courses and programs. And, and, you know, I was so conflicted and end up doing that, which led me to sort of where I am now. But if I was to think about it, it was like, so choppy and changing, but I could tell you right now, Oh, Stanley, I'm living my dream. Like influential you. I've, I've found my thing. It was always what I wanted to do. Yeah. I always wanted to make a big difference. It's a load of rubbish. Not to, you know, not to uh, diminish, though, coming back to what I originally said, what I think I have discovered over time Mm. is I've figured out what are the activities, Mm. what are the mental and physical activities that I really do enjoy doing, and how do I occupy myself with doing more of that? That's, I think, good advice, right? That's the thing that I wanted to get to too is that in this conversation is I feel that when people are trying to find a passion they're trying to find like a thing like 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 dancing or um, I want to get into computer games or I want to make be a filmmaker or all these sorts of things but like and those are like hard skills sort of things 
Whereas I think, for me anyway, what I boil it down to is more of a soft thing that you really like doing. Like, for me, I love like having a team and leading a team, and I love the um, game of trying to make something out of nothing. Like, I love those two things. That's right. And in hotels, that's what I really love too, and hospitality, that's what I really love. But, like, hospitality doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I loved working. I'm so glad I did my time there, but, like, the actual business of hospitality. Yeah, now I'm a marketer. I don't care about marketing. Like, this business could be anything. I don't really give a fuck. Um, I might start a gym one day. It doesn't matter. That's right. The thing is that's consistent, actually, is I'll always need a team, and I'll always be trying to turn a business from nothing into something. Yes. And so I, I, I guess that's what I wanted to lead into, like, is that... Is, is the problem when finding your passion is that people are looking at what the passion is wrong? Are they looking at it like as an industry or as yes. like a physical task that they do as opposed to like, because like for you, like speaking in front of people and hanging out with people like, are the two things you love oh, more than anything. More than anything. And that's what you've designed your whole job. And even together as we work together, you're like, Sam, I don't, I don't want any of that crap. I just want to hang out with people and talk to that's them. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I want to go for walks with people yeah. with my dogs, which I've now yeah, been able to do. do. Or just stand up yeah. in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, how do people do that? Yeah, I mean, I, this this is the funny thing. I, mean, I think there's definite trial and error in the yeah. sense of the dancing thing, right? Which is really funny is when I left Lamech Education in 2010, um, I was a bit burnt out and sort of a bit frazzled. I need a bit of time out, but I also decided it's not too late to dance. Yeah. And I was 33. Yeah. And I was still like, oh, I've got this burning passion. I need to get it out of my system. So for like almost a year, I immersed myself because Paul was in a yeah. Paul was touring Australia with Mamma Mia, so he was earning good money. Yeah. So I had some room to have some time off. And again, I was like three, four hours a day going to hip hop classes, right immersed in the hip hop scene and yeah. doing heaps yeah. of stuff. And then I did my own like Corey and filmed it. You've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Funny. and what was really, I mean, it was it was cool. And I'm so happy I did it. But what I said afterwards was like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't because what would have ended up happening, I'm absolutely certain, is I would have not probably enjoyed the independence yeah. of yep. being like a yep. selfish, and I don't mean in a bad way, but like any profession has to be so selfish well, and you have to cut people out. And I would have ended up opening a dance school and like working with youth and it would have just been exactly, it would have been some version what of what I'm doing now that was like, I've got to, I've got to help everyone. I've got to teach people. I've got to like yeah. bring these people up so that they can really, well, they, I need lots of people around it me. would have just been exactly that. And I doubt, I mean, who knows, but you know, it would have also probably been hard to make money out of it because it would have probably been, you know, a real cause and real passion, but because I've seen people who, you know, mostly in that industry, if they if they go that path, it's, it's you know, you can do okay, but it's certainly not going to be some sort of scalable business that you're doing all over the world, right? Do you right? think that you could, do you think the reason why you can't is that you would be fixed up on the idea that dancing was the passion, and so you'd be like, no, it's all about the art, blah, blah, when actually what it was really about is you getting to speak in front of lots of people and hang out with them. And if you leaned into that in the dance school, then you probably would have it. Yeah. So it's and that's what ended up happening. I, I, yeah, I started getting to know, mm. as you can imagine, I was like real quickly into the hip-hop scene. Yeah. I actually, not that I got to know well, but like Paris Goebel was before she was real mm. famous, like got to know her, like because it's just what I do, right? I, so suddenly I'm like connected with all of the 
who's who of, you know, well, not who's who, but a lot of yeah. the people who are way up there in the hip hop world because I'm tuning, you know, trying to get everything I can out of them. But so mostly what I did is I like got to know everybody and became friends with them all, and which is <laughs> what, you do what I do. So then the joy was learning to dance off with them and do all that and put stuff together and put, I think we put a show together and it was like, oh, I'm doing exactly what I normally do. Yeah. So it probably wasn't about, same with like, I don't know, like the whole soccer thing. It was, I just don't think in, at the end of the day, I like discipline. I like getting good at something. Mm. But as soon as it becomes too mm. individualistic, if I look at my history, yeah. I sort of am like, oh, I'm, you know, like I, lo- I, I could see I lost the joy or the passion yeah. of that vision because I started to get yeah. into the, that's why I said trial and error, like I started to get into the reality yeah. and the practicality of what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. And it was lonely and it was, you know, and it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't what I wanted mm-hmm. because I didn't, didn't keep pursuing it, right? Yeah. So I, I, I do think the, what if people, yeah, oh, that's right, can I read what you said as well? It's like, it's a misnomer to say find your passion. Yeah. I think that misnomer might be the best word. It's not wrong. It's just like it's taking you down a path yeah. because it'd be like saying if you were single, right, Stanley, you just have to like wait for the one and find the one. I mean, many years ago That's I learned after years of yeah. bad relationships because I was not fully committing because I'm like, well, maybe there, maybe there's somebody else. It, it, there isn't the one. Uh, like, that, it's just that, that there isn't. Real funny to me, too, because it's like, oh, you got to find the one. It's like, it just so happens that the one of seven billion people grew up in the same town as you. <laughs> like, and that was the same for the other two million people in your city. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, this is the funny thing. I could spin a great story about meeting my husband, Paul, yeah. that is almost like woo woo, yeah, yeah. sort of. It was like I almost spoke him into existence. No kidding, like because I did this whole course and realized how I'd been in relationships and then kind of got a lot of that stuff resolved and complete and called a bunch of my exes and like men, women, all of it. Like, and, and then there was, yeah, then, yeah, exactly. Then there was this real space for me to be ready for a committed relationship, which was true. But then I started telling people, I'm ready now. And, the, and one guy was like, well, give me the, who do you want to be with? Yeah, yeah. And so I gave him the laundry list and he's like, oh, I know just the person. And he showed me Paul and I mean, Paul will joke about it. He's like, you stalked me. Yeah. It's kind of did, but, but I could tell that whole story in a way that makes it like, wow, you like, you said the person you want to be with and he showed up. No, it's cause I was actually taking actions and I'd been taking lots of actions just like sales, right? People like, Oh, I want to find the perfect client. I want to go for the big fish. No dummy. You got to do your numbers. And it's the same in relationships. It's got to be metrics, right? (laughs) It's the same in following your passion. You got to do the metrics. It is. It's a, it's a transaction. That's the awful thing that people hate. What? But that's so cold and that's so cold and binary. Like, what do you mean finding a, now the cool thing is I actually have now quite a track record with my clients of having them get into relationships, getting married and even having children. But it's because I take the approach with someone like, look, you have to figure out a, what you want. Yeah. And who you want to be with, no kidding. But then you just got to go do the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to have a whole lot of dates. You got to measure it. You got to. Like, 
It works if you're not trying to find the one, but you're kind of open to, if I do the numbers, if I do the work, the one will actually appear, if that makes sense. I love that. That is so good. So (laughs) moving on from rating our partners. That's right. (laughs) They were just one number in many. Yeah. So we talk about, okay, is finding a passion really a thing? Maybe not. Maybe it's misnomer. Um, And then we sort of went into, well, maybe it's not, Maybe it is about finding stuff that you love to do, but it's not so much about the physical task oriented of things like the industries and whatnot, and maybe more around the softer skill of stuff. But then I guess what, you know, that doesn't really help a lot of people because it's kind of hard to figure that out and they're probably just more lost. They're probably just like, oh, so I just need to dig deeper to find my passion because it's not on the surface. But I think the thing I wanted to go into, Mm. which is what you just touched on about relationships is this concept of like so so if i'm stuck in a cubicle right working in an office and i hate my life and i'm like fuck and i work in insurance or something shit like that big center um that what do i need to do to like do i just quit my job and run off to the ferries and do whatever i need to do or like is there a way of like just grinding out the reps and doing the metrics inside insurance until you can get to a point of place where okay well that one thing i love doing which is speaking in front of people I can now do that in insurance. Is that realistic? To a point, actually, yes, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, there is validity in, for you know, like whatever for whatever reason, through our nature, nurture, whatever it is, I think we do get conditioned mm. from unconsciously absorbing everything that sort of happened till we were probably a teenager. Then, as a teenager, starting to see the world and go, I like that, I don't like that. I do think there are things that from a very biological perspective, if you don't like, say, that industry, you may never like it. And so even if the activities you're doing in there you enjoy, you might just have this conflict. So it might be at some point you're kind of like, I'm going to get out of this industry, whether it's just because you don't agree with it, whatever. But I think there is definite validity in if you're in a company or an organization and it's you're not satisfied by what you're doing, the tasks, the activities, what's you know, you're occupied there mentally, is take some time to really sit down and look at your life and go, where have I been the most passionate? Mm. Where have I been the most joy, the most happiness? Like that's a good reflection. Because mm. I can tell you, if I was to say to you, when in your roles of whatever roles mm. in your whole life, and you could even be at school, it could be anything, when were you like so in flow where, you know, like the world disappears and you're just in it and you love it and you're kind of performing at your best? What would be some examples for you? Like, oh, I mean, I mean, I've got heaps. Cause I, I, I what think, sticks out? What's I mean, a currently this current role? Yeah. It's my hundreds of debt. My last role is GM of hotels. And what, but what were the moments? What were you, what were you actually oh, doing there's, there's and what was going on in your environment? Those are two things I sort of talked about before. I was either helping staff with things, like I was giving them what they needed to take the next step forward, whether or not they liked it or not, um, and, or I was coming up with ideas of how to grow a business and inventing new possibilities. That's right. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and so... If we were to translate that to, well, how do you 
find your passion or find your dream or anything like that, I'd say it's about looking at, well, when, when do I get most satisfied? If I was to think about Paul, he's been a professional singer and entertainer for 30 years, very top level. There's a lot of stuff about the whole industry that doesn't fit for his personality and everything like that, but there's aspects of it that he absolutely loves and now it's no surprise he's doing a degree in graphic design and crushing it like straight A student mm. and doing, well, <laughs> doing stuff like this, which is, I'm not sure how difficult that was, but like he's really good at it. Now, if I track back, like we've been together 17 years, every time I've seen him get into graphic design, I'm not kidding you, he would sit for 12 hours sometimes and look through 3,000 fonts. Mm. So it wasn't hard for me to kind of realize when he applied for graphic design school and got in like, you are going to enjoy this. And he does. And so it's like, think about the activities mentally and physically that you just find your zone, you find your flow, you really love. And then in your organization, figure out how could I, where's a role for me or how could I start declining the things that you know, we say this a lot in our programs, decline the things that you don't want to be occupied by that don't really satisfy you and start saying yes and kind of even creating with people and telling people, I, I could do that, but this is better use of me or this is you know where I'm more valuable. Yeah. And every time you say no or, you know, decline something, less people are going to come and try and get you to do that thing. Yeah. And you're going to start doing more of the activities that you love and that you enjoy. And pretty soon people will be like, oh, you're the person to go to for that stuff. And so I think over time you'll find yourself mostly doing the things that you really enjoy. And and therefore that would say, oh, I found my passion. Yeah. I found my love. Yeah, I think so. And I think that like as we wrap this up, like sort of touching on what you said, when you are doing those activities, I think what I found out is really important is that I couldn't have done this business 10 years ago, even though 10 years ago, I still loved the same thing. And the reason is, is I didn't know all the other things in business that I don't like. Yeah. And I didn't have the reps and doing the things I do like effectively either. And so having that career in hospitality gave me a place to learn all those skills. So now when I do it myself, I am pretty good at it. I mean, I'm like, I'm still young, so I'm not the best at it, but I'm way more advanced than a lot of people are because I had the reps put in earlier. Yeah. Um, and what I found is that because I did that, I'm really good at delegating stuff I don't like. And that's why I got these guys um, to do all my stuff I hate. Yeah, exactly. So, kids, don't follow your passions. Shut up. Do your work. Listen that's to your right. own. <laughs> Fucking do your homework. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>